Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. It's good to worship with you. Man, I love Sunday mornings, just getting together and, and, and worshiping the Lord like this. It's just amazing. It's just an amazing time to be together. So our associate pastor, Dennis Kozlov, and I, I'm senior pastor Neil Haney, and uh, we, have, um, we have been doing a series called Unleashed, which is really a non-series because Dennis and I have preached through 10 to 12 um, series uh, sermons over the last um, two years. And beginning of September, we thought, well, we'll just take a little break from that and just do standalone messages. And so uh, we're kind of, uh, you know, for the rest of the month of October, we're going to do these standalone messages that are not a part of a series. But we're really excited about just being able to share what God puts on our hearts. And so this morning, I have something on my heart that is kind of left over from our men's retreat a few weeks back. We, we had a wonderful men's retreat up in Ashland, uh, um, Ohio, and, and uh, the, the first night was really a powerful time, and I've been kind of carrying that, uh, that message in my heart since then because it's so powerful. And so um, I want to start this morning by, by kind of telling a story that will lead us into what I want to say this morning to you, and I'll, I'll, I'll share the title of the message then, but there's a story um, that I read recently about Kyle Eidelman, who's a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, of a large church. And he had just finished writing a book, and he was writing the... He, he sat down at his computer to write the introduction to his message, or his, his book, I should say. And um, his secretary had handed him a, a kind of a stack of, of phone calls he needed to return. He thought, well, I'll just knock these out before I, before I actually uh, write the introduction to, to my book. And so... Um, the second phone call that he had to make was to a man who had lost his 18-month-old son. And so as he dialed the number, he said, I, I just prayed, you know, God, give me the words, you know, just, just bless this conversation. And he said the, the man's name was Brian, and he answered the phone. And, and he could tell already just the kind of the monotone way he said hello that this, this man's heart was heavy. And he said, he said, uh, uh, Brian, I, I understand that you, you, uh, your, your family has, has had a tragic loss here, and I just want to express my, my heartfelt you know, condolences, and, and I just want to say how sorry I am for what you've been through. And, uh, and so, you know, Brian said, well, thank you, Pastor. And, and he said, do you, want to just, do you want to talk a little bit about what happened? And he said, what I heard, four words that I heard I was not prepared for. He said... Brian said, I backed over him. And he said, I didn't know what to say. He said there was this long silence. And he said, um, he said I, I said something that I couldn't believe I actually said. I, I, I just asked the question, how are you? And I said, oh, you know, he said, I thought to myself, what a, what a stupid question. I mean, he's just lost. He just backed over his own son. And he said, you know, Brian went on to explain that, he said, I didn't even know that he could open the door. I mean, my wife and I had no idea he could get out of the house. 
And he, somehow he'd gotten the door open and, and wandered out in, in the driveway. And so, you know, Kyle asked this question, how are you? And he said, I was absolutely shocked at what I heard. He said, Brian said this, I feel like I reached a point in my life where I had absolutely nothing left. And it turns out that for the first time in my life, Jesus became real. What? That's just unbelievable. The title of my message this morning is, Life is Hard, but God is Good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Life is hard, but the Lord is good. You know, life in this world is it's unpredictable. It's uncertain. We live in perilous times. There are wars going on. There's all kinds of political upheaval. There's, you know, things happening, hurricanes, you know, devastating entire states. I mean, we're just, it just seems like every day, you know, Deb and I were watching the news the other night. We'd watched about an hour and and I said, I can't watch any more of this tonight. I just, it, my heart is so heavy. It just seems like all the news is bad news. Anybody experience that? I was just like, I can't handle this. I said, let's watch something else. I just got to get my mind off of this. It's just depressing. But we live in a world of uncertainty. And, you know, I, I preached a sermon on Romans 8.28 a few weeks back. I'm not going to go into, you know, the, this begs the question, why does a loving, sovereign God let, allow things to happen like hurricanes and backing over children and that sort of thing? I'm not going into that this morning. I covered that last time I, I spoke on, on that whole subject of, of bad things happening in our lives. What I want to focus on this morning is the fact that, that in the midst of things that happen in our lives, the Lord is still good. You know, um, we've all experienced or at least known someone who's experienced those kind of things that happen in our lives that just come out of nowhere. The phone call in the middle of, you know, you go to bed, everything's fine. Two o'clock in the morning, you get a phone call. There's been an accident. Someone's in the hospital. You, you go to the doctor and you've been feeling great and you get the diagnosis that you have cancer. Or someone you know and love has cancer. You've experienced it. There's a financial crisis that you are. Dev and I were on our way back a few years back from vacation. And, uh, you know, on vacation you spend money, right? So we got back. And the bank calls the day we got back and said, hey, you need to come and talk to us. We get there. And the branch manager says, do you realize that you're overdrawn by $1,200 in your account? We had been scammed out of $2,300. We come back from vacation, you know, to that kind of news. I mean, it, those things happen in this world. It's like we live in a world of uncertainty, a world of crises, a, a world of tragedy. And, and yet, in the midst of all of that, we can find Jesus. <laughs> we can find Jesus, and he's good, he's good. There's a story in, in the Gospels, um, and I love the rendition in Mark, where Jesus says to his disciples, you know, it's, he's, he's taught, he's dismissed the crowd. I believe this is like right after he feeds the 5,000, and so he's just performed this great miracle. 
And he's proven over and over again that he's the Lord over death and the Lord over nature, the Lord over, you know, everything. And uh, he's performed one miracle after the other. He's raised the dead. He's, you know, healed the sick. He's opened the eyes of the blind and ears of the deaf. He's cast out demons. And he's just fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. And so they get in. And, and so he says, let's get in the boat and cross and go to the other side of the lake. We're talking about the Sea of Galilee. It's called, also called Lake Gennesaret. He says, let's go to the other side. And so they get in the, in the boat, and there's, there's something about the Sea of Galilee that is, is very interesting. Um, often, out of nowhere, storms just come up. It can be a nice day as you leave the shore to head out, and by the time you get to the middle of the lake, what they call a squall has, has come up. You know what a squall is? It's just a storm that comes out of nowhere, like the phone call in the night or the diagnosis. I mean, it's just... These, these things happen, and so they're, they're out in the middle of the lake, and suddenly, this storm comes up, and, you know, they're rocking and rolling, waves are coming over the, the, the edge of the boat, rain is just dumping, it's, you know, the winds are just incredible, and they're terrified, and Jesus, it says, is asleep on the cushion in the stern, and so the, 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 the disciples wake him up, and, and they say this, Lord, don't you care that we're about to drown? That's how they wake them up. Don't you care that we're about to drown? I mean, who here can blame them for, for responding that way? That's probably what I would be saying. And Jesus gets up. He calms the, the winds, uh, the waves, the storms. He just speaks, peace be still, and everything. He's just, and he turns to them, and he says a really an incredible thing to me. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, why would he say that? Like, like it's a storm. It's, it's, you know, boats are capsized. You know, they sink. People drown in storms. I mean, it's, it's like, well, why wouldn't you be afraid? But there's something in that. There's an element there. There's, a, there's a, an X factor that should cause them not to fear. And that is the fact that Jesus is in the boat with them. You understand what he's saying? I'm here, why are you afraid? I'm here, don't you have any faith? If I wasn't here, yeah, I can see you being afraid. If I wasn't here, I could see you doubting that you'd survive this. Someone said it this way, he said, you know, Jesus didn't say, Jesus, Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. He didn't so let, say, let's go to the middle of the lake and drown. And so he's going to get them to the other side. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He, he tends to get us to the other side. You know, I, I love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, that's so nice. He leads me beside still waters. Oh, that's awesome. He restores my soul. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Through the, the valley of the shadow of death. We get through it. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not green pastures. It's not still waters. But Jesus is there. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus is there in the good times and the bad times. Life in this world is hard. 
And there are no circumstantial guarantees. In other words, bad things happen to people. Good people, bad people. It rains on the the righteous and the unrighteous, right? We live in a world of pain and lack, of sickness and war, of crisis and tragedy. And you know, none of us are immune to this. I don't care how much you claim Psalm 91 over your life. You're going to hit storms. You know, and and some storms are like the squall on the lake in the Sea of Galilee. It just comes out of nowhere. You know, that getting home to find out we've been scammed out of it, that came out of nowhere. But then there's those storms that you see coming. Just ask the people in Naples, Florida. They knew at least two days before they were going to be hit, that they were going to be hit. And all they could do is just brace for the storm. You know, put some plywood over your windows and then head to higher ground, knowing that most likely your home was going to be destroyed. I mean, it was, it was bad. I, I, I don't remember a storm like that where an entire state was devastated. So it happens to individuals. It happens to groups of people. You know, life is hard in this world. Life is hard. Bad things do happen. Jesus would say, why are you so afraid? You know, I love what the disciples said at that point. They're, they're start, it's starting to sink in. <laughs> it's, you know, they, they've been with Jesus long enough. He's been with them long enough that they, after he calms the storm, you know, the winds and the waves cease, they say to each other, who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? You know? Who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? And here's what I've learned in my own life. Jesus doesn't always calm the storm. Sometimes he just calms us in the midst of the storm. That's what Brian was experiencing at that moment. His son was not coming back. The tragedy had already happened. He had buried his 18-month-old son. But somehow, in the midst of his storm, Jesus calmed him. I want to, for our text this morning, I'm going to share Psalm 34, but I want to share this, I want to set this up for you because this, this has everything to do with what I'm talking about. The Word of God is so powerful, and, and it gives us comfort even in the storms. King David who wrote this psalm. It wasn't king quite yet. He had been anointed king, but the, initial, the original king of Israel, King Saul, had been rejected by God as the king of Israel because of his disobedience, his rebellion, his dishonesty. He was just not a good person. And he had proven that he was not worthy of being the king of Israel. And so God had rejected him and had chosen this little shepherd boy uh, from the tribe of Judah. And and the, the prophet and priest Samuel, who was kind of the spiritual leader of Israel, had gone down to anoint him king to replace Saul. And not long after that, David goes up to the battle line where they're facing off against their arch rivals, the Philistines. They were always, it seems like throughout the, the history of Israel being in the promised land, they were always fighting the Philistines. 
And uh, David had gone up to take some food to his brothers who were in the, in the war. And uh, this, this nine-foot Goliath giant guy comes out and starts taunting the army of God, people of Israel. And no one will go out to meet him. And David is appalled at this. And so he says, if no one else will go, I'll go. And so he runs out into battle with this giant with a slingshot and five smooth stones. And his very first, very first shot catches the giant right here in the temple. And he falls down in, in front of David. And David takes his, the giant sword, cuts his head off. And wins this, Israel wins this battle. The Philistines start running. Israel takes off after them. And so there's this little saying that starts taking place in Israel. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands, tens of thousands. And Saul suddenly becomes threatened by that and jealous. And he turns, I mean, David actually marries his daughter, Michal. And they, they, they you know, so he's now Saul's son-in-law. But Saul becomes very jealous and very threatened by this this young man who has been anointed to be his replacement. And so Saul is trying to kill him and sends his army, sends the army of Israel after David and chases him for like two years. And so David escapes to, of all places, Goliath's hometown. <laughs> is that a weird place to go? When, you know, his brothers are still living there in that same town. And so David runs there to get away from Saul. He's between, talk about being between a rock and a hard place. And they're about to kill him. And David, God delivers him and, and David escapes from Goliath's hometown and escapes Saul. And I think he ends up in a cave and he writes this psalm. And I love this. Listen to this. I love this. Psalm 34. David says this, and I think we have this, this, this uh, scripture. I will extol the Lord at all times. Extol means to praise, to, to, to proclaim his greatness. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, God delivered, the Lord delivered David out of the storm in the situation. But look what verse 5 says. So, so David's doing, he's like giving his own testimony, but he's also trying to encourage those who would ultimately end up reading this psalm for themselves. And this psalm has brought me great comfort many, many times. I mean, just think about how many hundreds of years ago this was written. But David is giving his own testimony, but he's always also talking to an audience that he, he won't even meet this side of heaven. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So when we look away from our trouble, we look up from our storm, our troubles, and we look to the Lord, he says our faces will never be covered with shame. I love that. And then back to his own testimony. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. All. I love, I love the words all here. The angel of the Lord, which means the presence, the, the manifest presence of the Lord, encamps around those who fear him. That word fear is not like terror. It's reverence. It's the kind of reverence that I have for my own dad. It's just a, you know, there's a little bit of like, ah, you know, I don't want to mess with my dad. 
You know, even though he, there's no way my dad could spank me now, he's 89 years old, I still revere him. I still, there's still there's something there. He's my dad. He's always going to be my dad. There's a reverence there. And that's what, what the psalmist is talking about. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who revere him, and he delivers them, either out of the storm or through the storm. Don't miss that point. Now, I love the next, the next verse is the key to this whole thing. David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I want to stop there for a moment. When do you take refuge? Is it when the sun is shining and everything is going your way and, you know, life is good and, you know, no worries, no problems, you're completely just blessed in every area? No. You take refuge when you're running from an enemy or a, or a, or a, or a disaster or a crisis or you're in a tra- you, you take refuge is a place that you run for protection, for shelter, to be protected against whatever is pursuing you or is coming upon you. When you see the storm clouds suddenly, you know, collecting on the horizon, or when suddenly you're in a squall, you run to something or someone for refuge. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, blessed is the person who takes refuge in him, in Jesus, in God. Verse 15, now listen to this. David is really intent on telling us that we are always under God's protection, his surveillance. He's always watching us. He's always listening for our cry. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. Dennis and I have tried to make really clear that righteousness is a gift from God based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness is not something that we earn, something that we become because we're good, because we do everything right, because we never sin, because we dot all the I's and cross the T's of our Christian performance. Righteousness is a gift from God. And so if you have Christ in your heart, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are righteous based on what he has done for you. So don't, don't ever, I mean, when you read these Psalms and it talks about the righteous, don't ever get the idea that it's because you're performing well. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears him, them every single time. He delivers them from their troubles, from all their troubles. He delivers them from all their troubles. I love that. The word all there, over and over again. Now, verse 18 is so precious to me. It's so precious to me because I have been in the pits of despair in my life. More than once. More than once. The Lord is close close to the brokenhearted implying that even the righteous become brokenhearted at times, right? There's no guarantees in this life that you're not going to have your heart broken. And I'm not talking about your boyfriend breaks up with you. I'm talking about about real gut-wrenching heart brokenness when your world falls apart 
when you get the phone call in, in the middle of the night, when, when, when you get the bad diagnosis, when your finances crash, when everything in your life seems to go wrong. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Any of you ever been crushed in spirit? Oh my gosh, I have. You just feel like life is over the way you've known it. Now listen to verse 19. This is the kind of the punctuation mark at the end of the psalm. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. <laughs> wow, really? Yes. Even though tragedy strikes, even though things go wrong, I just want to kind of summarize real quickly what's being said here. Let's walk back through this real quick. These are the promises that we find here, just rapid fire. God answers us when we cry out to him. God delivers us from all our fears. God saves us out of all our troubles implying that we get in trouble sometimes, right? God's eyes are always on the righteous. His ears are always attentive to their cry. God sees you. God hears you. I love the way Psalm 69 starts out. Save me, O God, for the waters have gone over my head. I sink in a deep mire where there is no foothold. Oh my goodness, how many times I've felt that way. I'm drowning, I'm sinking, there's this deep mire. I can't find a place for my foot to, to prop myself up so I don't go underwater. You ever felt that way? He hears their cry for help. God ultimately delivers them out of all their troubles. He is near to the brokenhearted. He, is, he, he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's a guarantee. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm in your boat. You're not gonna sink if I'm there. You're ultimately gonna be delivered. Many are the, the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him through the storm, through the valley of the shadow of death. But you might say, you know, Neil, that's, that's all great, you know, uh, if, if, you're, if you're living well and, you know, things are going good. But what if it's, what if it's my fault? Like, like, what if what I'm going through is a result of my own stupidity, is a result of my own sin? What, what, what if the, the crisis that I'm in or the tragedy that's happening to my family is because of an addiction or... Uh, or, or something that I've done wrong, that a, a lie I've told, or, or, or just something that I've, I've just been really stupid and I've made bad decisions. What about then? Because, man, in those times, you start scratching your head and, and you kind of start wondering, does righteousness really mean me? <laughs> Is that really being applied to me? I don't feel very good right now. I don't feel like God's favor could possibly rest on me. Well, this same David, I'm just going to read this. It's not, it's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read this. I, this kind of fell into my lap at the last minute. I love this psalm, Psalm 103. 
Listen to this. For those of you who are asking that question. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who, who forgives all your sins. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin for all time. And heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Verse 8, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and kindness. Man, that, that's the gospel, guys, in the Old Testament. That's the gospel in the Psalms. David is presenting the gospel here. Now listen to this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Hallelujah. What if he did, man? Wouldn't we be in trouble? Or repay us according to our iniquities or our guilt. He doesn't, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, reward us or repay us according to our guilt and iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, the more we learn about our universe, the more amazing that, that verse right there is. How high are the heavens above the earth? Something like 100 million light years or something? I mean, that's pretty high. And is, so great is his love for those who revere him. As far as the east is from the west, that is an eternal line in both directions. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who revere him. Man, that is so good to know. So even in your sins, even when you've blown it, even when it's your fault that you're in the pit, in the valley, in the crisis, in the tragedy, God is still there. The Lord is still good, and he's still good to you. When Brian reached the end of himself in the loss of his son, he discovered Jesus and his goodness. So Kyle Eidelman said, I jumped online, and I went to Facebook, and I typed this in, finish the sentence. Jesus became real when? And he said, I was shocked at the answers I got back. From this, from this uh, question. Finish the sentence. Jesus became real when? Here's what some people said. When I could no longer pretend that I was in control. <laughs> Hallelujah. You control freaks. <laughs> Hallelujah. I had to admit that I couldn't fix things. How many of you have a fix-it gene? You got to fix things. You got to fix people. You got to fix everything. Every, yeah. When I couldn't, I found Jesus became real when I couldn't fix it. Jesus became real when I wasn't strong enough. Hallelujah. Jesus became real when I had nowhere else to turn. Those are kind of general statements. Here's some specifics. Jesus became real when I was told that I had three months to live because I was in stage four cancer. Well, there's a shocker. When I found out my husband was having an affair. Yeah. When, I be, when it became clear that I had lost control of my addiction, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. <laughs> when the divorce papers arrived in the mail, when I was forced out of my 33-year job and had no idea what I was going to do, Jesus became real. Blessed is the man who takes refuge, the one who takes refuge in him. 
when I finally admitted I wasn't strong enough to save my marriage or end my addiction to porn, Jesus became real when my husband was killed in a car accident. Jesus became real when the ultrasound said that my baby's heart had stopped beating. Jesus became real. When my depression became too much for me to bear, Jesus became real. When we hit these storms of life, it's an opportunity to experience the goodness of the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. I love the Amplifies version of that. I shared this a few weeks ago. It's worth repeating. This is in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. The Lord has said, I will never leave you under any circumstances. I will never desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So take comfort and be encouraged and confidently say, the Lord is my helper in time of need. I will not be afraid. Life is hard. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is uncertain. Life is scary at times. But the Lord is good. I've asked Jason Adams if he would come and share a testimony of how he found Jesus in the storm. Let me get you the mic here, Jason. Here you go, buddy. Thanks. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm, I get stage fright pretty bad, so if my voice cracks or shakes, just have grace for me. Um, so, um, I have gone to this church for almost 30 years now. I came here when I was six with my mom. Hi, mom. She's over there. I love you, mom. And uh, so I've been here for a long time, and um, I've been a part of, of church in not just attending, but, but other things like worship and youth group and men's group and, and, and other things like that um, in a lot of different ways. And uh, I went to a lot of conferences as, as a youth and, and uh, I've been to a lot of like retreats and stuff like that. And so the Lord has been a part of my life for a really, really long time. Um, and if you know anything about me and my, my childhood, um, I had a pretty uh, dysfunctional relationship with my dad and uh, <clears throat> um, it was up and down, and, and my father struggled with a lot of different things. I'm not going to go into those, but um, eventually it led to the divorce of my parents when I was 13. And um, because of the tumultuous nature of that, uh, I became very depressed um, and really, really angry. And um, I became addicted to pornography and a bunch of pretty, pretty nasty stuff. Um, and even, even through all that stuff, when I was leading worship and, and going to conferences and, and going to retreats and stuff, um, my understanding of God was always here. It wasn't here. And I, I thought that eventually maybe that it would become real to me at some point. And, and because of my experience with, um, my dad, I always told myself when I have, 
when I have my own son, that I will be everything to him that my dad wasn't for me. And uh, my first child that I have, if you know, her name is Penelope. She's seven. She's amazing and beautiful and smart. And she's just like the sunshine to me and and, and everything that she does. And uh, when we found out I was having a second child. I thought I thought I was only going to be able to have girls, but my wife called me when she was at the ultrasound. She's like, we're having a boy. And I was so happy when I heard that we were having a girl. I was just ecstatic, and my heart was filled with joy. But when I found out we were going to have a boy, my experience was totally different. It was like, now there's this big weight on me, you know. Um, I'm, I'm in it. I need to do everything that I said that I was going to do, right? I need to be the man to him that I said that I was going to be, that my dad wasn't to me. And uh, Finn was born, and it was kind of a rough pregnancy and a rough delivery, and <clears throat> he had a lot of uh, health problems. Um, he was super colicky and um, was allergic to a bunch of different formulas and stuff, and so it was really hard. And and as we started hitting those milestones, if you have kids, you know that you have milestones when they turn a certain age. He wasn't hitting those milestones. Um, so he got to be about 18 months old and he was still completely nonverbal. And uh, we were seeing some other signs. Um, and so we took Finn and we saw specialists and we saw psychologists. And um, in the summer of 2018, my son was diagnosed with autism. And all the ideas that I had about how I was going to be a dad to my son sort of went out the window. I was going to, you know, I was going to teach him how to play baseball and talk to girls and, <laughs> you know, how to be a man, right? And, and, and all of that went out the window. And, and we didn't know what was going to happen, you know, like I, I have no idea what was going to happen. And in that moment, I died. And the only thing that I could do was lay in my broken state at the feet of Jesus. Because life had come like, a, like an 18-wheeler and just blindsided me at 6,000 miles an hour. And, and I was completely devastated. And then a, a beautiful thing happened. The only thing that I could do was lay at the feet of Jesus and bring my brokenness and just lay it out before him and say, Jesus, this is hard. I don't understand what's happening. I don't have any control over it. I can't fix this. I can't make this better. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know how far this is going to go. And he met me in my brokenness. And for the first time in probably 15 years, I was able to feel real emotions aside from just anger. And he began to melt the frozen hatred in my heart. And, I, and I, my understanding of Jesus moved from here to here. And I, I finally felt his spirit ministering to me. And it was in that moment that, that Jesus became real to me. Um, and I'd like to read a, a quick verse. It's, it's Matthew 5, 3 and 4. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And then it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Jesus met me in my mourning, and the Holy Spirit met me in my mourning, and he, comf- and he, comfort- he comforted me. And uh, Finn has made, just so you guys know, Finn has made humongous strides. He talks now. He, he, he graduated preschool last year, and now he's in kindergarten. Um, he's, still, he's still delayed, and, 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 and don't, don't misunderstand. Things are still hard. Things are still, things are still really hard. Um, my, my wife wrote this a few years back and she just texted it to me, so I feel like I should share it. She said, sometimes autism is light as a feather. I can carry it around in the palm of my hand. On those days, everything is manageable, everything is easy. And although I still have to carry it, it doesn't really feel like a burden. Then there are the days that autism is heavy so heavy that I feel like the weight of it might crush me. And to even take one step forward with it exhausts me to the level where I need days to recover. And that's what autism is like. Um, and, uh, but I, I want you to know this, and I'll, I'll, I'll end with this, that things are hard, and I would wish this on no other person, but it changed my life. Jesus became real to me. It changed my marriage. It changed my heart for my wife. I stopped becoming a, I stopped being a jerk to her all the time. I stopped, I started seeing real power in my life with the Holy Spirit. I started to be able to feel emotions and I could cry. I, I didn't cry for probably 15 years and I cry, I cry all the time now. So I'll be in my car listening to worship and just tears will come. And uh, so this is what I know. I know that he goes before us in a pillar of fire. I know that my God is a God of victory. I know that Jesus speaks a better word than autism. I know that Jesus speaks a better word than cancer. I know that he speaks a better word than death. One of my favorite songs is um, Waymaker. We play it here a lot. Um, And I just want to just tell you what the words say in the bridge. It says, even when I don't see it, Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. Autism isn't a death sentence because Jesus brings life. So if you're in an area of your life and you're experiencing death in some fashion, like a loved one or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a dream or the loss of a relationship or a career, or you can't defeat some childhood trauma or addiction that you have, I will tell you this. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't medicate it away. Embrace it and lay it and yourself at the feet of Jesus. Dennis talked last week about the great exchange. It is the greatest exchange. That is what we're about here. Jesus will meet you in your brokenness. And he will bring your comfort. He will take what you have and replace it with a crown of, a crown of glory, and you will find peace. Thanks, guys. My name's Jason. Amen. Thank you, Jason. That's awesome. Life is hard, but the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for that testimony. Lord, thank you that you are so good. You are with us in our boat. You are with us in the storm. And you'll either deliver us out of the storm or through the storm. But you will deliver us because you are good. Thank you, Lord.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.